This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Brett Kunkel is the founder and president of Maven, an organization dedicated to helping the next generation know truth, pursue goodness, and create beauty all for the cause of Christ. He has more than 25 years of experience working with junior high, high school, and college students. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Hey man, we've got some friends in common. We both are fans of Dr. Kathy Cook from Celebrate Kids and also Greg Kokel at yeah. Stand to Reason. Yeah, big time fans of both of those people. Those are some smart Christians right there. Yeah, they are. And some of my favorite people. And the fact that you were on staff at Stand to Reason, they're, they're actually in a period of time, there was the Kokel Kunkel combo. That's right. That yep. people could experience. We were, re- we were rethinking that and thinking maybe we should become a law firm, Kokel Kunkel and Associates or something That's, like that. I, dude, but, uh, you're onto something right there. I'm so glad we're talking about this subject of kids and social media and technology. This is such an, an important topic. Um, what led you and your wife to start Maven? First of all, why do you call it Maven, and uh, what's it all about? Yeah. Well, a Maven, it's actually a Yiddish word. It refers to someone who's knowledgeable or an expert in some field and then seeks to pass that on to others. So you could have a fashion Maven or a finance Maven. A guru of sorts. Exactly, and we want to be Mavens of Christian truth and mm. pass that on to the next generation. And so uh, there's two aspects to that. One, we care about the next generation in discipling young people uh, and also equipping those who are discipling young people. So Mm. equipping parents and grandparents and pastors and church leaders and home educators and, you know, Christian educators and on and on and on. And so that's, that's why we started Maven, because we've just seen the cultural pressure increase and the secularization of our culture. And so parents are faced with challenges at every turn uh, in terms of discipling their young people. And so that's why uh, we we started Maven. When technology hit us as a culture like a tidal wave and all of a sudden everybody's got smartphones, uh, all of a sudden social media is here and we're thinking differently, we're processing life differently, that was a big shift. Have we got that figured out now, or is technology continuing to evolve? Are we still on our heels with all this stuff? Yeah, we definitely don't have it figured out. I think we can look at the anxiety and the depression and the rates of suicide and self-harm that we see particularly in young people. Hmm. And you can go back about 10 years. Around 2011, 2012, there seems to be this beginning of this increase in all of these things with our young people, and particularly in girls. And from that point till now, we have seen the rates of anxiety and depression, self-harm, all these things increase exponentially. So let's take girls from uh, about uh, 15 to 19, right? Since around 2012, there's been, gosh, uh, over a 60% increase in hospitalizations from self-harm. 
Mm. And now, so that's one indicator. Now, if you drop that down to 10 to 14 year olds, that number since 2012, 2013, has increased about 180 uh, percent of, of uh, and this is so this isn't self-reporting. This is actual documentation from yeah. hospitals of these kids who have come in for self-harm. We're seeing the rates of anxiety and depression uh, all increase. Now, what happens around that time is that smartphones kind of become ubiquitous, right? They're, they're just, they, they start to uh, be everywhere. And, and kids now, since that time, all grow up now with smartphones. So since about middle school now, we have a generation, Gen Z, who have grown up with these things. And so Jean Twangy, a psychologist, alerted us to this back in 2017. Now, she only had a few years of data, and so she got a lot of criticism on this and a lot of pushback saying, oh, it's not, you know, there, there's a correlation here, but that doesn't mean causation. Uh, just because, you know, around the same time they're, they're getting smartphones and then access to social media doesn't mean that this is the cause. Well, now, five years after she wrote that, uh, this article in the Atlantic called Are Smartphones Destroying a Generation, we have more data and we don't see any correction. We just see that uh, th those stats increasing in terms of the mental health of our young people. And, and, and so and I, now I think when we think about the nature of technology, it helps us to understand why this is causation, why this is having the kind of impact it's having on our young people. Technology is not neutral. Uh, I think about a car, for instance. You have different gears. You can put your car in drive, you can put your car in reverse, and it's gonna move. But if you put your car in neutral, it's going to stand still. Technology doesn't have a neutral gear. And what that means mm. is that by our very use of technology, it's moving us in a direction. It's always nudging us. So that means that just by using a smartphone, just by using a, a social media platform, it has the power to influence you. It's always trying to nudge you and shape you and move you. And this is, I mean, we see this with, uh, you know, smartphone addiction, technology addiction, where we're, we're on these things more and more and more because they're constantly nudging us to be on those things more and more. Now, when you look at something like social media, right, there's a couple of things to think about when it comes to social media. Number one, Social media for our young people and even for us adults now is often, it's just constantly staging the world, right? right. So it's staging the world. And so it's telling us what is, and, but also it's telling us what should be. It's presenting to us what is the norm, whether we realize it or not. And that is the way that, that, that culture most powerfully shapes us just by presenting to us what is normal. That's right. And then we absorb it, and then we go along with it. So now we have a, a, a generation of young people who for the last, you know, eight, 10 years have just been socialized by this medium, by social media, telling them what's normal. And what is it telling them, right? Well, we are in this decadent culture, a narcissistic culture, a culture where the, the, the individual, is, is king, the individual is God, and everything therefore needs to cater to the individual, their wants, their desires. And so now happiness is, uh, the, is the satisfaction of any desire you have. And so whether it's clothes or food or traveling, it's whatever pleasurable experiences that you can have, this is gonna bring 
satisfaction. This is going to bring joy and happiness. Right. And that's just being presented as the norm. So then our kids are materialistic. They're consumeristic. They're pursuing these kinds of things because it's just constantly staging the world. And so there's this other aspect where it gets reinforced by the system on social media of likes and followers, right? Facebook, when they invented, when they invented the like button and introduced that onto their social media platform, I think that changed things. So now it's not just I'm posting this picture of me, you know, whatever I'm doing or whatever I'm yep. wearing, but now there's this reinforcement of it. And so depending on what I post, I get more likes. Uh, I get more followers. And so there's this feedback mechanism. That, and so now think about this for a young person. Like for you or me, you know, older, maybe a little more stable in our identity, right, hopefully. Um, there's not, this isn't going to have as much of an impact. But you take a 15-year-old who's in the middle of their identity formation. They're trying to figure out who am I? What makes me valuable? Why should people yeah. love me? Right? You, you put that young person who's unstable and insecure, like, like we all were, and you put them into that social media world where now they're getting feedback for the things that the world takes to be valuable. And so they, let's take a young girl. She posts a, a, an ordinary picture, maybe out somewhere, and she gets well, a few likes or whatever. But then let's say she posts a picture where she's maybe in her bikini. She's wearing something that would be considered you know, more sexy. And there's more likes. Right? Well, she's probably not thinking necessarily explicitly about that, but she notices, oh, gosh, when I post this, I get more likes. And so you can see how that might nudge a girl to begin to post certain things because she's going to get more positive feedback on that. She maybe it gets more followers. And just take that, that's just one example of many examples. And so this is how social media so powerfully shapes us. So what do you think we do about that, especially as parents and as grandparents? Where do you think we start with that kind of thinking? We have to reason through this with our kids. So I think the first thing to do is to have intelligent conversations with our kids about this kind of stuff and not just say, well, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and then not give them any of the reasoning, especially when they're in middle school and high school. By this time, they've reached a level of cognitive development where they need us to give them reasons. I, I think a second thing we need to do is we have to find allies in this because I know a lot of parents, you know, I'm the parent of five kids myself. I've been navigating this. And it's difficult because you feel like you're in it alone. Like it's me and my kids. And I may be one of the only parents that my kids know, right, when they look at their friends' parents, who's putting any kind of limits on this, who's raising the alarm, who's, who's you know, issuing some concerns yeah. about this. And if that's the case, oh, it just makes it so much more difficult uh, because they look around and it's like, well, hey, Jeff's mom and dad, they don't have any of these rules and he can be on whenever he wants and, you know, this kind of thing. And so what we need is we need allies in this. We need not just moms and dads. We need grandmas and grandpas. We need aunts and uncles. And, and particularly, we need the church. We need uh, the larger church. We need youth groups to kind of ally on, on this issue. And, and so, for example, like when my kid goes to youth group on a Wednesday night, and every kid out there, you know, at youth group has their smartphones and they're on their smartphones constantly. Well, then it's just the norm. That's just, it's no different. Yeah. 
it, it's the same culture that they find at the, the local school campus. And so they, again, that's gonna shape them. But what we've seen in our, uh, our, our church is that our youth group will put limits. And so, hey, when we go on a mission trip or we go to camp, don't even, you don't even bring that thing. And, and so what it does is it creates an alternative culture. So not only is my home this alternative culture to the larger culture, but then you, they have another place where there's some safety in this, the youth group or, the, you know, or church, or and if, they, if they've got a group of friends whose parents are kind of all allied on this. I've seen that as well. The kids don't experience the power of that social pressure like they do if everyone around them's kind of on the same page. So this is, I think, where we got to have these conversations out loud together amongst Christians, amongst the church, saying, how can we do this together? Because families need the church and the church needs families. And then when it comes to individual families, I think there's a lot of things we can do. I think the very first thing we, we need to do is delay entry. Delay entry. Start this thing as late as you can for your kids. And you know what? You're eight, nine, ten-year-old maybe coming home saying, hey, my, all my friends have a smartphone. All my friends are on Instagram. All my friends are on TikTok. And this is the thing I would say to my kid. Look, I love you and I want to protect you from the harm that we're seeing in the culture. Uh, I mean, the, the, the rates of mental health disorders and anxiety in young people has absolutely skyrocketed. Young people are unhappier than they, they've ever been. And this is the kind of thing we need to say to our kids to help delay that entry. And then if we've got people around us who are doing the same thing, that makes it easier. And so yep. delay entry as long as possible. And then once they get it, come up with some good boundaries that you can agree on. Uh, man, I, I want us to continue talking about this and, and share some more practical things that we as parents and grandparents can do right now to help our kids navigate the technological age that we're in. We'll be back with more right after the break. We're back with Brett Kunkel. So, Brett, we've been talking about technology, social media with our kids, and you talk in your book and at Maven about a family technology plan. Yeah. What does that look like? Well, uh, it looks like a piece of paper. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's an actual contract. And so with each one of our kids, before we handed over a smartphone, we wanted to have a good discussion about uh, what this thing is, how it can shape us, and then what are some of the boundaries? What are some of the ways that we're going to protect ourselves? And so before we ever handed over that smartphone, I wrote out a sm- uh, smartphone contract that had a number of different um, items on it that said, hey, here are some of the boundaries that we're going to agree on, and here's why. And after I wrote the initial draft, I gave it to my kids, because by this time they're you know, in high school. And I gave them the initial draft and said, hey, look over this. Uh, I want you to read through it carefully. If there's anything on here you disagree with, please, I want you to talk to me about it. But there's one caveat here. You have to give me the reason why. You can't just say, I don't like this one, Dad. You got to give me the reason why. And if it's reasonable, then, hey, we're going to change it. And I'll give you my reason, and we'll reason together. And uh, and so we did that. They looked at it. They uh, agreed to it. And so they, I, ha- I would have them sign it and date it. And, and, and then they'd you know, get that smartphone. And so what that did is that created some expectations. We're both on the same page. We both came to this agreement so that when maybe they don't follow that boundary, maybe you know, one of the boundaries was 
never take that thing into bed with you. Uh, because, and that's just based upon the research. You know, young people who take a, a smartphone to bed with them end up being on their smartphone and social media platforms longer, and it correlates with higher rates of anxiety and depression. You're on that thing later and later and later, the, the sleep disruption, that, the lack right. of sleep. I mean, so there's a number of different levels. So that's why you've got to get those boundaries out there and agree to them before you ever hand over that device or that social media platform. So that was the first thing that we did. Uh, now, there, you know, there, was, there were different boundaries on that sheet. One was, hey, you, you don't keep your smartphone in your room at night when it's charging. Because we didn't want our kids to wake up and the first thing in the morning, what do they do? They reach for their phone. Uh, we, want, we want them to get up and and interact with family, uh, spend time maybe reading the scriptures, doing their devotions, having breakfast, fellowshipping, relating to other human beings. And so what we would do is make sure that we had a central charging station where we would keep all of our devices. And so including mom and dad, keep our devices all out there at that, that central charging station so that, again, here's just a little boundary, a little way to kind of protect ourselves from that thing taking over our lives. Uh, here's another real practical step. Yeah. Turn off all notifications. Uh, except for the phone and text messaging, those notifications. Other than those two, all other notifications are off. So no social media notifications. It's going to constantly be buzzing. It's constantly talking in your ear. Yeah, and so it's, then it's constantly pulling you in. And we don't want that thing to control us. We want to control it. And so that was another very practical step. You know, I, I find that... I'm turning my notifications off on my phone right now. Uh, I know that's not how you do it. But I understand that this is not only a problem with kids, it's a problem for adults. Yeah. You know, the, the, the opportunity to have an uninterrupted conversation with your spouse, yeah. with another adult, is a rare thing. Yeah. Because, oh, it, it's the kids. Oh, I've got I to have notifications on in case, um, you know, the coach calls and he, there's an update to the schedule. And, and really what it is is you're just constantly on edge waiting for that ding, for that buzz, for that, yeah. that little noise that tells you, like, something good or something bad's happening. Yeah, well, Kirk, you... It becomes you, a lifeline. You raise a really important issue. This is, I think, another practical thing. We have to live this out ourselves. As the adults, as the parents, we have to live this out. So one of our rules is no technology at the dinner table. When we sit down Great for a idea. meal, you, you can't even have that thing in your pocket. It's got to be somewhere else. And this is a rule that it's, we don't just issue to our kids. And mom and dad don't live this one out. We live this one out. And the great thing is now our kids hold us accountable. So if I accidentally keep my cell phone in my pocket and then it vibrates, man, I'm, I'm starting to, to feel the heat because my kids are all looking at me and they're going to be like, dad, you, what, you know, you got technology at the, at the table. And so there's mutual accountability. I have to live this out as well. And so not only do I lay out, hey, here are the rules, but right. I, I follow those things too. Because I'm, I'm just as susceptible as a fallen human being to the allure of the world. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, on, on our contract, we have a statement that says, hey, when it comes to technology, there's no right to privacy. Instead, there's a need for accountability. And I live by that too. And I tell my kids, look, hey, mom has every one of my passwords to my computers, 
to my email, to my social media accounts. And anytime she wants to get on any device, she gets to. Why? Because I'm a fallen man and I am tempted and I need accountability. And if I know that mom has access to everything, I'm held accountable. And, and imagine if I said to mom, hey, what about my right to privacy, honey? What do you think she's going to suspect? She's going to suspect, probably rightly so, that I'm hiding something, right? That I don't want her to look at something because I'm not doing something that I should be doing. And so um, that's where, with these rules, when we live it out as well, it's a, it's a powerful model for our kids. So many kids today are being heavily influenced by technology and social media platforms in school. Should parents be concerned about that? And, and can they do anything? I talk to, to school teachers all the time, and the bane of their existence as a school teacher is technology. They hate it. They, I mean, the s- smartphones in the classroom have just oh. ruined so much. And, I bet. And teachers are just, they're, they're beside themselves. And so if parents and teachers came together on this, and it, school administrators, and said, hey, you know, uh, we're going to do what might be considered radical now, but I mean, if you just think about it 20 years ago, this wasn't radical, but how about a, a campus where we don't have any technology? <laughs> I know people are probably thinking, no, what? That's nuts. Well, hey, that's, that was the case 20 years ago, and the kids survived. And so there's not only the enhancement to learning that would take place, right. but then just think about the, 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 how that would transform relationships. Right. Because kids now, their relationships are constantly mediated by technology, that means technology is constantly in the way. And so you, right. you, know, you go to a local fast food place and you see a group of students sitting there, I guarantee you, they're all gonna be pulling out their cell phones constantly. You might look at them and they're all looking down at their, their smartphones at the same time, not even interacting with each other. Right, texting each other at the same table rather than talking to them in person. Exactly, all jumping on the same platform, you know, social media platform at the same time when they're sitting right there with each other. Now, remove that technology, what has to happen? They have to talk. They have to talk and relate. And, and, and one thing we're finding with young people, they're, they're lonely. Right. They're lonely because technology is actually cutting them off from one another and experiencing the depth of Crazy. relationship that we're designed for. What would you say to the families that are thinking, oh no, Brett, where were you 10 years ago? Like we, we're, the train has already left the building. Uh, is there any way to put the evil genie back in the bottle um, or is it too late for my kids? When we start with the proper worldview, the Christian worldview, we realize there's never no hope. <laughs> There's always hope in our view. Now, practically, is it going to be more difficult once the train has left the station? Absolutely. And so this is where I think parents first do some, do some of your own research. Do some study. You know, get online and even listen to, uh, you know, listen to a Gene Twenge or a Jonathan Haidt, these social scientists who are really sounding the alarm. Uh, you know, read books by our friend Kathy Cook, Screens and Teens. Uh, read, uh, you know, other good books out there. There's all kinds of good books on technology. And, and, and get educated so that when you then start to have this conversation with your kid, you can give the reasons why. So, that, and then there might need to be a kind of a big sit down with your right. kids where you say, hey, mom and dad made a mistake and we're going to own it. And we, you know, we confess, we just did not think carefully about this. We just, we kind of went along with the culture. And, and we're rethinking all of that. 
and have that kind of conversation with your kid in, in humility, you know, and not just this, hey, I'm lording it over you. Right. I'm, I'm coming in with a power play here. But no, with a genuine humility. And what we see is that kids respond to that. And then ask the kids, are you guys seeing it too? Because oftentimes when, when kids feel like they can be honest, they will tell you they know that their friends are addicted to these things. They know that these, th- these you know, pl- social media platforms are doing harm. In fact, this is what you know, was leaked out of Facebook uh, a couple years ago, that young people are reporting that they know the problem. And the problem is social media. Right, they, they, They're feeling like they have to be perfect. And so every right. picture they, they have to post, it has to reflect this, this perfect life. Brett, what, what about the couple that's saying, well, my, my, my spouse and I don't really see eye to eye on this. You know, my, my, my husband, he likes to have the phone all the time and he thinks that if we're too strict and we lay down these rules that that's gonna actually just, you know, make them wanna take a bite of the apple even more. What advice would you give to couples to get on the same page about this, this kind of thing with their kids? Read some of these books together. That's Read right. some of the resources. What are some of those together. resources you'd recommend? Screens and Teens by Dr. Kathy, Kathy Cook. Kathy Cook's a great starting place. There's another book called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. And then they actually have a student version called My TechWise Life that also uh, talks about this for students. I'd say go on YouTube and just search up Jonathan Haidt. His, his last name is spelled H-A-I-D-T. Type in his name, Jonathan Haidt, and social media, and you'll find some great videos where he's reviewing the research, and he's talking about what social media is doing to our kids. You know, those are the kind of things that you, you've got to do. And then from those sources, you'll find other sources. And do some of your own homework so that mom and dad can see, can get on the same page and say, okay, hey, there's real reason to be concerned here. And then let's discuss, all right, yeah. how is this going to play out practically? And then, of yeah. course, people can, can visit Maven. This is one area that we try to provide a lot of resources on. So they can go to our website, maventruth.com, and find resources there. My wife, Erin, and I do a podcast called the Maven Parent Podcast. And we have a number of um, Great. Uh, episodes on technology. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.